Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right. Sunday. Not so serious Sunday. Not so serious Sunday. I like that. That you works. Like, you like that one? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I just thought of that. It felt very organic. Did that? Not, yeah. Did that just come to you? Not. Uh, I don't know. I guess since our last not so serious Sunday, which you called Simple <laughs> Sunday. Simple. <laughs> I was thinking about. I was thinking about it a little bit, and just before you actually came in and I pressed record, I was like, "Not so serious." <laughs> Like why so serious? Like the brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. And uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so yeah, so anyway, for those who are new to this, not so serious Sundays are about not being so serious and knowing exactly what we're going to talk about. But we'll stumble across something, and it should be good. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So is there any uh, anything that's been going on for you pertaining to uh, to the week that's been kind of interesting for you as far as? creativity and and artistry yeah actually there 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 has been um one of the things that's been really cool is uh this class that i launched recently uh called the proof of concept course so part of my movie maker school the way it works is basically people learn how to how to write a script for proof of concept and uh i think i've mentioned this before but what proof of concepts essentially do is they help to get bigger features made and you make essentially what is kind of like a short film but it's it needs to be top quality and it needs to be something that you know basically people are going to want to finance millions of dollars into to make it into a big project so um we have a currently have one producer and um some more who are possibly signing on to this but he's putting up fifty thousand dollars for the best proof of concept that comes out of the course and so everybody's handing in their final scripts. We're at the final week of this course. That's and exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And I've absolutely been blown away by the material that they're bringing forward. Like, it's it's unbelievable. And um, to just see the progress of how far people have come since the beginning. But um, the thing that I thought I might share was, you know, I was having these conversations with some of the clients I work with. And, you know, they thanked me because we were... Because t- basically the feedback that they're getting, they're like, this is, you know, I never get feedback like this. I never get this like real world feedback. And I, you know, I said to them, well, I don't want this to be like, and, and you know, there's probably some film schools out there that are really good. I mean, I only have my experience of film school and I only see so many results that come out, but I don't want it to be a school where people are coddled. I want it to be a school where people actually get that real world information. What do you need? Because at the end of the day, we're performing or, or producing and creating a, with relation to the entire world. You know, nobody's going to come along who doesn't know you and say, oh, you did a good job, pat on the back, just because you did it. You know, the rest of the world, you know, can judge you openly without knowing you without a care. And so what people need to hear is they need to hear the information that, you know, what do you need to do to push yourself to be at the top? You know, and that's... Uh, with the help of um, one of my producing mentors, Gabriel Napora, he's been really helping me to make sure that people are delivering this top quality stuff. And what people have been coming up with is literally top quality. It's like, it's, it's, it's as good as the stuff that's like the best being made, you know? Yeah. And 
And, you know, it's, it's been an interesting process because when people begin this course, you know, they have all these ideas of what a proof of concept is. And I think this is part of the, you know, this is why it's a good thing to have around is that people make short films, right? And they think, oh, I'm going to make this short film and, you know, maybe I'll win some awards in some festivals and whatever. And, you know, I can say I'm an award-winning filmmaker, but then it never really leads to anything, not for most people. And then, you know, a lot of people who want to be filmmakers, who want to create something, they always feel like, you know, it doesn't matter if they make a short film because nothing's actually going to get them that connection to making their feature or making something bigger or they won't get financing because of a short. And so um, a lot of that is because people don't understand how the industry actually works. They don't understand how to close that gap, you know. And with the proof of concept, it just makes it that much easier. But that's one of the things that I really wanted to help these people do. So whoever wins this course, uh, whoever comes with the best, they're getting $50,000 to do their, their proof of concept. And then they're going to be taken down to Paramount Studios and some of the other studios to actually pitch this. And they'll be taught how to pitch. And provided that this actually gets picked up, which these producers are very serious. They're not putting $50,000 in it for nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? They could actually be making a feature, you know, with the studio or with, you know, 10 to $15 million production. And it's just like they started from like nothing, you know wow. what I mean? And so it's an amazing thing. And like, I'm in this, we're in this very early stage, but what I found is like, you know, as a kind of a coach and being a mentor, I found that sometimes it's scary to tell people the really hard feedback, you know, to say like, okay, this isn't working. This seems corny. This seems cliche. This seems like an eighties action B movie. You know what I mean? And here's why, and here's how to change it. It's not like I just judge them. I like give them the tool that they need to move forward, you know? And, um, it's really amazing because at first people can get a little bit discouraged and I try to tell them where they're going well, but then they come back and when they see the result, when they see the result of actually applying it, they end up thanking me. And that's more rewarding than anything in the world. And I find that, I think that as artists, I think my whole point in this conversation is that we need to be compassionate to each other because the very fact that you're creating and you're willing to put yourself out there, we need to be compassionate about that, not judgmental, but try to help hold each other up to like, okay, this is what I don't think is working, but this is how I think we could raise the level. This is how I think we can move it up. I think it's, you know, I never wanted to be a critic. That was something that, you know, ever since I was young, I was like, I just don't want to be a movie critic. I don't want to be someone that judges other people's work unless they can judge me equally. I just don't think it's fair. And so the way I look at it is, um, you know, if we look at it from that place and we look at it from a place of like, how do we raise each other up, you know, as opposed to like knocking what isn't working, but try to add to it. Yeah. And I mean, nobody nobody ever sets out to make a piece of garbage. I mean, maybe some people do as some sort of a, a bizarre experiment of some kind, but you know, even, even something that, you know, isn't terrific, you know, <laughs> like if you were like to subjectively say, you know, like, you know, this was not good. Like generally it's accepted, you know, and I'm sure, you know, you can think of any number of, of, titles or pieces of work that, you know, you're just like, oh, that was just not, but it never starts out that way. You know, it's like everybody always sets out to do the best thing they can. And when something doesn't work, it's just, it, look at it with a sense of interest and, and, and why mm -hmm. something maybe didn't work, you know, instead of tearing somebody down. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Just, I, I, I find it. Yeah. I, I just find it so 
so disheartening when, when people just, you know, criticize, um, so I mean, the other day, um, you know, an, a, an acquaintance of mine went, went on a, on a rant about, about a particular director who's quite big in, in the industry right now, who I'm actually a fan of, um, this person, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and you know, and I just thought it was, it was so strange because it's all just a perspective. You know, I understand that mine is just like my perspective and theirs is, is theirs, but you know, it's oftentimes critics come at it like, you know, well, no, this is the truth. You yeah. know, this is the truth. It's like, well, it's, it's, it's an opinion. Made, it's an opinion actually. Like, and <laughs> how many times have you probably heard, you know, like don't mistake, you know, fact for opinion, Yeah. you know, and, and a lot of people, you know, they have their reasons, you know, everyone has their reasons for having their opinion. Right. But, you know, I, I just wish that, um, you know, more commonly we would, we were more self-aware that, you know, it's okay to have an opinion. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion. If you really dislike something that somebody's doing, then, then fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, always be, come from a place of knowing that it's like, well, you know, that's that, but I am just one person. Yeah. You know, I, that's, you know, because this, in this one particular instance, like this one subject that we are, that I'm, I'm referring to, I think is a, is, is brilliant. Yeah. And in what they do. You know, it's uh man, there's a bunch of things fired off there, but I was thinking about this, you know, um, I'm, I'm usually the kind of person that's very supportive and encouraging and, uh, I always want people to have motivation and drive and to feel like they're doing well, you know, it's important to me. Um, but I think that also we need to be honest too. Sometimes work is not like some stuff is better than other stuff. You know what I mean? Like some yeah. stuff took more thought, more effort. There, there's, um, more creativity, more originality. And, and I think that we need to acknowledge that. I don't think we want to look at art as like, oh, it's all the same. And there's this just blanket over it all. It's yeah. everybody tried hard, you know, so it's all good. It doesn't like yeah. that. Right. But, um, I do think it's important to, you know, that saying you're saying like, uh, never, never, um, confuse, uh, oh, fact for opinion. Yeah. Fact for opinion. Right. I used to hear that. And I remember thinking, don't confuse other people's opinions for fact. But you know, the really, the thing you got to look at is don't confuse your own opinion for fact. Cause I think that we always believe our opinion is the truth. Yeah. Cause we walk around and it's our world and we think, well, I know, you know, other people don't know, but I know, you know, and I think everybody kind of walks around like they know, first of all, we don't know anything. None of us, yeah. you know, <laughs> we just have uh, our own little tiny little perception of the world and we have a take on it. And I think that we, you know, the, the most expansive way to be an artist is to be open to everybody's opinion and to never take one opinion as though it means more than anything. Like, you know, one of the things I think that got me into trouble is I remember having people around me when I was younger who had strong opinions and I remember believing their opinions as though their opinions meant more than someone else's opinion. And that can be a dangerous place to go because now what this other person thinks and for some reason you've given them credibility and authority about their opinion it's, you know, it, it can mislead you because they, what do they know? Like when I, when I coach yeah. and mentor, I always say, listen, this is just my opinion. I don't, I don't know for sure, but here's, here's what I'm seeing. Here's why I'm seeing it. You know, does that make sense to you? Do you see that as well? 
And then they can go, yeah, yeah, I totally see that. You know, often clients will say to me, you know what, I already knew that. And I just wanted to make sure I submitted the draft in time. And I said, okay, great. So, you know, this is what we're getting. What do we want it? What, what could we do with it? And then it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a collaboration Yeah. because if I come in and I say, I know everything I've studied film for whatever, I know the rules. I'm an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> I don't know. Like, and you know what? These film teachers or whatever teachers who think they know, I, any teacher that tells me they know, I always go, I always think, well, first of all, no, you don't. Cause none of us know anything. Yeah. Like none of us know anything for sure. Right. But it's, it's okay. I give them the benefit of the doubt. You believe, you know, this, that's great. Yeah. But, and you believe in the advice you're giving me and your advice might be totally valid and it might be absolutely correct. But in, in the sense that I agree with it, <laughs> but just cause we both agree doesn't make it the truth either. Yeah. No. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's just two people in the grand, in the grand picture of the world. Right. Um, you know, we talked about, we, we did a, a podcast a few weeks back about, about criticism and, uh, and yeah, it's like, I, you know, I always just think like, it, be wary of anybody who is just extraordinarily negative about, about creative works, mm. who's just, you know, when you, when somebody just bashes somebody, you know, like really emotionally just like bashes somebody's creative work and is, is very, comes from an extraordinarily negative place because like, it's like, there's, there's a whole lot, there's a whole can of worms that's going on there that has absolutely nothing to do with, with the, the art form or the creative process at all. You know, I, I so agree with you. I think that whenever anybody comes at you with something emotional, it's start, it's time to start questioning that period, because emotions are irrational. If, if we need to come into a conversation emotionally charged, why, why do we need that emotional charge to communicate whatever we're trying to communicate? What is that emotional charge like? And how much is that informing what you're saying? You know what I mean? Like, think about it. When you say stuff that you're angry, right? You might not even mean half the stuff you say, but you're angry and you want to get it out. So, someone hears those opinions, right? Maybe it's a little kid. They hear you're angry. They hear the things you say to them. They might take that as the truth, even though at the time you might've said, well, I didn't really mean it. Maybe it's your partner. Maybe it's your friend, whatever. But you know, we need to, anytime anyone comes at me with something really emotional, I try to try to, you know, have that emotional intelligence and pick that up and go, you know, is something emotional charging them? I think it goes the same for it. Like what charged you emotionally so much? You know, like, um, I remember being in a conversation with someone, you know, and I could see that they were amping up with anger. They wanted to come into this thing with anger. And, you know, there's a few techniques that I've learned in my life about diffusing anger. It was really interesting because once you diffuse the anger, they were like, they wanted to be angry because they wanted to say what they wanted to say. But then it was like, wait a minute, we take all the anger out. What's going on here? And they were just like, you know, I just, I just feel a little hurt. I just feel a little this. It's like, okay, well, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about this. We're not talking about that. Why do you feel hurt? And then the person, you know, says maybe that person saw this movie and it, it dug something in their, yeah. in their emotions. Right. And now they, they don't like the movie cause it actually hit them somewhere, you know? Yeah. Sensitive. Or, or oftentimes, um, there's something, something about, about it. And this is not necessarily with a, with a piece of work, you know, it can be with a, an exchange that occurred with somebody, you know, um, 
but when people come out with that with that anger you know they're usually responding um as i've been learning to what they feel is an attack on them in mm. some in some way you know that's and and it engages in an attack response on our behalf so for me yeah it's like diffusing diffusing anger it's like it's like okay well like there's it's like there's no there's no attack going on and it's usually and i've talked so much about this in the last little while but it's like it's so ego based on all of this stuff like the ego thinks that it's being attacked something about it is being attacked so it attacks back and the thing is about the ego is that once you once you shine a light on it once you give it its its place and you go it's like okay well why why are you so why are you so angry <laughs> Like, yeah. like just, you know, yeah, let's hear it. Like, let's like, let it all, lay it all out, lay it all out. And it just, it just diffuses everything mm -hmm. because, because it doesn't really want to be seen. You no. know, it doesn't really want to be brought out to the light. It wants to be, be held and, and contained and, and, and just form and harden some sort of your opinion, mm -hmm. you know, your identity and just being like, okay, well, no, I'm not going to have this challenge. This is just the way I feel. And I'm right. And I'm going to keep it to myself because if I put it out there, then somebody might see it and they might disagree with me. And then I might disagree with me. And <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. I mean, our, our emotions are irrational. I think, you know, that's the thing we need to always remember. If you're emotional, there's a chance that you're being irrational, you know? Yeah. And I think that you know, one thing that I, I, I do think it's really good to be able to be in touch with your emotions so you can give yourself an emotional charge to get things done. You know, sometimes getting excited or getting angry can get you doing something. You yeah. know what I mean? And the thing is, is it's, you know, just because you're angry doesn't mean you have to be destructive. They are not hand, they don't go hand in hand. I think sometimes people think, oh, I'm angry. I need to fight. But sometimes, you know, just being angry about something is enough to get you to do something to fix something, you know, and it doesn't have to, it could be very productive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that no emotion is wrong. Like anger is not wrong. It's not wrong to feel anything, but I think that when we make our choice with that emotion, we got to look at like, okay, if I want to hurt this person, I'm angry at this person, I'm angry at this thing and I want to destroy it. Like what, you know, I'm feeling this, but what will that do in the world? Like, what will that actually do if I, hurt this person, what will happen? You know, and if we take that moment to just think about the effects of that action, you start to go, well, I think if you don't want to destroy your life, you, you might start going, well, hey, you know what? I feel this emotion, but I don't have to do that with it. Maybe I could do this with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't it's, know. it's taking, it's creating a space between, you know, this, this feeling that you have that comes up and, and taking a moment instead of just reacting you know, f like taking a moment to respond, uh, and not to, not to deny anything like the way that you're, you're feeling, but almost taking an interest in, in why it's happening. It's like, why do I feel like such a, such a strong resistance to this thing? Why do I feel such a strong, you know, like emotional response to this thing that is happening? Mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes we will discover that our, the reason that we're, we're getting so upset is is actually you know completely completely meaningless mm. yeah yeah and you know take an interest in something get curious about it i i think that's that's always a great place to go because you know curiosity is ultimately i think the 
the door that opens art, you know? Once you get curious about something, you start to look into it, you start to investigate, you start to ask questions, you yeah. start to ask questions, you start to think, you start to think, you start to expand your mind, you start to open up doors that you're not. Yeah. You know? And I think curiosity is always a great default. If ever you don't know what to do, just get curious, get interested. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, and, and don't pay attention to that stupid old adage of curiosity killed the cat. No. That's like one of the stupidest <laughs> things I've ever heard. Well, yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> curiosity is a great thing. Curiosity is a great thing. I think if you, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's moments where that, you know, that saying makes sense. Like, you know, don't open a door to something that you, you know, you're not ready to know the answer to, you know what I mean? Like, but like, I don't know, like, if you realize that nothing in the world can really hurt you, like, there's not really like, I mean, okay, you know, I had this realization, actually, you're saying, how did this week go? I had this massive realization, it sounds really simple, but I had this realization that when we were like cavemen and women and we were just beginning it, you know, we were not at the top of the food chain. It just hit yeah. me. I was like, wait a minute. We weren't at the top of the food chain. There were animals out there that could eat us. You know, we had to find camp. We had to be safe. We had to protect ourselves. There could have been other tribes and stuff that wanted to literally kill us and like, you know, take, take what we had and whatever. Um, it just hit me and I realized, you know, you were in a place of like, you could starve to death. You could freeze to death. You could die very easily, right? Now, okay, for the most part, we're in a, a consistently temperatured room for most of the time we want to be. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, we have, we have all sorts of comforts. We have the ability to get food pretty much anytime we want. If you chose to live in like a farm type area or somewhere way out on your own, well, you created that environment for yourself. The whole rest of the world has access to food when they want food. You know what I mean? We, yeah. we have access to warmth. We have access to shelter. We have programs in place in case you go bankrupt and lose all your money that are there to help you to get you back on your feet. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we have so much that we, that, that it's just there to take care of us, but we have fears that are connected back to if this happens, I could die. The truth is most of our fears are not, they're totally like disconnected from reality because most things we're scared of, we, we wouldn't die from. Yeah. And, and, and also it's what we think that these things mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like, oh, well, you know, if I, if I go bankrupt, you know, then, then that means that, you know, I'm, I'm a piece of shit and I can't do anything and that people won't respect me and they'll always hold this over my head and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it, it actually doesn't mean any of those things. Like it actually, it means, it means absolutely nothing about you really. Yeah. You know, like it's like as just as a human being, no. Well, you know, it's, it's so funny because people don't look past the fear either. Right. So let's say you did go bankrupt, right? Let's say you go bankrupt, uh, you go bankrupt and now there's social programs in place for you to rebuild yourself. So you rebuild yourself, you know, and I know this from my dad, he went bankrupt. And he lost his millions of dollars and he made back his millions of dollars. You know what I mean? So is he less of a person because he went bankrupt? No, he's actually a wiser, more intelligent person. I think that he's given me far more wisdom and help uh, because of that experience than he would have if, if he just always had what he had. So 
what's a better story anyway of a life? You know, one where you faced no struggle whatsoever, no strife. You just floated through life. It was pretty good, you know, and you have no stories to tell about any adversity or anything that you ever went through. Or is it better to have a story where, you know what, this was important to me and I went out and you know what? I messed up. So you know what I did? I got up again and I did it again. Yeah. And I did it better the next time. You know what I mean? Because that's the thing. I think that we have this very, this, we look at ourselves. You know, I called someone out actually like several weeks back. I said, you're not fragile. Stop treating yourself like that. You're not fragile. You're a grown ass woman. You know what I yeah. said? Like, don't talk to me like you're fragile. You, you can hurt people. People can hurt you, whatever, but you're going to decide if you're hurt and they're going to decide if they're hurt. And you know what it means to be an adult. You know what it means to, to do this stuff. You, ha- you can't, you're capable. Yeah. And I've seen it and don't, don't run that with me. And they said, and they thanked me afterwards because they said, no one's ever said that to me. I said, that's what you need. That's the kind of stuff that we need. We need to not walk around this world. Like we're fragile. We can make mistakes. We can, we'll get back up. You know, yeah. you break a leg, you break an arm, you, you hurt yourself, you embarrass yourself, whatever, you'll live. It's okay. Well, you look at all of the, like, all of, sort of, like, for us, we focus so much on, on uh, filmmaking and, and script writing and, and acting, like, storytelling. And through, you know, that sort of collective of a medium, you know, in terms of, you know, performing, you know, performing arts and storytelling all of the best stories, all the best movies that you've seen are riddled with failures. Yeah. You know, like you're watch, like are riddled with struggles of, of these characters, you know, like you watch them like Forrest Gump or something, you know, yeah. or something like <laughs> Forrest Gump. I just watched Interstellar again last night Okay. for the second time. It's better than I remember it being nice. actually. The first time I saw it, I remember liking it. Mm-hmm. I did like it, but I was like, oh, I don't know if it was my favorite from Christopher Nolan. I watched it again. I was like, wow, this is actually, like, it was, like, exceptional, stellar? I think. <laughs> it was stellar. <laughs> um, but, I mean, if you look at, again, like, here's here's sort of, of a bunch of stuff that did not go right. Mm-hmm. That's just a movie about people who just, like, had a bunch of stuff that didn't go right, but kept pushing forward. Mm-hmm. And it led them to somewhere else more amazing and more unique, arguably. Yeah. You know, I think this is the thing, is I think as artists, you know, you need to, and I, and I, I don't say you need to be like, I am an artist to be an artist. You're just a, it's a life, <laughs> you know, life is art, you know, in my opinion. Um, but um, an artist needs to be able to go out into the world and try some stuff and dare some to do some stuff and to not, like, safe in my opinion, is doing things that have already been done, that have a proven result, that have a certain consistency and predictability to them. And I think that there's a place for that in many areas of our life. Yeah. But when it comes to the things that are most important to us, when it comes to the things like, um, you know, learning who we are and creating something and building something, that's when we need to start looking outside of what's already been done as though everything that has been done has all the answers available to us. We need to be able to look out into the world and say, you know what, I'm going to try something. You know, I don't even know if this is going to work, but I'm going to try this and I'm going to see what happens. And you know what, whether it works out or not, you're probably going to learn something that everyone else didn't learn because you tried it. And that bit of information you gained, regardless of the result, is going to give you an insight that most people don't have. And with that insight, added with the information that everyone else has, which is easy to get, and that insight was very hard, you earn that, 
you have the pairing now that you can do something that other people are not able to do who have not also done that type of risk or had that discovery you had. And I think that great artists are the ones who continue to learn outside the box. They learn things, and those things are the things that they don't necessarily teach everybody else. You know, they don't even, you might not even know how to teach people that, you know. I think about, you know, the film school I'm teaching here. I don't, I, I don't always know how to teach people experiences I had. Like, for example, I don't know how to teach someone what it's like to um, <laughs> have someone you care about, say, do something that was very destructive on your project, you know? How do you deal with that? Do they teach you that in film school? Do they teach you that in school? Do they teach you that in life anywhere? How do you deal with that? And then whether you did it well or you didn't do it well at all, and I don't know which I did, if it was really great or it really wasn't, who knows? I learned a lot from that. But I had to put myself out there. I had to experience yeah. that. I had to make that mistake. Now, I can look at that person as bad and I can blame them and I can say, oh, they screwed everything up or whatever. Or I could just look at it as like, you know what? I created an opportunity where... I got to do something and that most people never got to do and I got to learn about something that I would otherwise not get to learn about and that bit of information I can tell you has informed me a lot on how I make other decisions and how I do other things but yeah. you know I see I see people continually um, I'm going off here but I see people continually soapbox time soapbox time <laughs> doing it early just get it done right <laughs> it's my guitar solo yeah <laughs> continue but, Riff but, on. <laughs> but I see I see people do this all the time where they say, I, I want to make this movie and I'm going to pair up with this person. I say, well, why? Why do you need to pair up with this person? And they go, well, you know, I need I, I need a partner. I need a teammate. And I go, well, why? Why don't you just do it on your own? They go, well, you know, it's like support and whatever. And and it's interesting because I, I always tell people, it's like, you know what? Your first project, just do it on your own. Just do your first project on your own. You don't need a partner. Get people to help you. Bring people on board, but be the visionary, be the leader. You don't need to hand off your vision, right? And I've seen a few people just go against my feedback. Everyone's going to do what they're going to do. You, you know, you don't control anybody. They do what they're going to do. But, for example, there was four, four women I know, and they decided to create a project together. And I told them all, I said, you know, just if you, if you go together, make a commitment. Have some type of contract in place or something locked down here, because if one of you leaves, what's, what's going to happen? You know, and sure enough, three of them left and one person was left with the project. And this person was someone who worked with me. And, I, and they said, I'm so frustrated. Everybody left. And they said they would stick with it. And I said, see, this is the lesson. What lesson did you learn here? When you team up, when you take this vision and you don't have, you know, you don't have that commitment. You haven't learned how to build that on your own. Now you're left without, you know, without your team. And now the problem is there is a split in ownership of the idea. When you own the idea yourself, whether it falls apart or not, you don't need to ask for permission to pick it back up again. If yeah. you have a partner, now you have to enroll them and get them on board. And what if they don't want to go the way you want to go? And now, what, what does the project just die? And sometimes it does. And me, uh, probably most often it does. So, you know, lessons I learned, um, for example, Seth Godin, I might have mentioned this before, but he talks about when you create a, a, a partnership, if you're the visionary, if you're the creator of the idea, don't ever give away 50% of the idea to someone. Never do that. He said, what you do is you create a contract and you basically create an outline of the work that they would need to do. And now with everything they achieve, they can earn a percentage. And every, every work they did, they create a percentage. And so up to the point to 50%. And now 
you can have 50-50 and they've done the work that they need to right. do to earn 50-50. Because you created the idea and you came up with the thing and none of this would exist without you, you know. So that's a great way to do it. And the thing is, is what the problem is, is if you give someone 50% of what you create without any work, now they have 50%. So any dollar you make, just cut that in half. Now just, here's, here's a reality of the film industry. Yeah. Cut whatever you made in half already. So $100, now you only made $50. Now you get distribution into it. Distribution is going to take about 50%. Okay? So that's now $25 of that 100 Here's another thing. You're probably going to have a sales producer involved. They're probably going to take around 15 to 25% of that. So now you just, your, your chunk just got lower. Okay? Yeah. Now, <laughs> now you're going to take the other costs that come along with it. By the end of the day, you're going to find out that that $100, let's say that was a million dollars. Let's say it was $10 million. You're going to start finding out that the amount that you made was so little because you gave up so much. And, and here's the thing. You go, okay, that's fine. If both of you are working equally, contributing, continuing to advance things forward. But let's say the other person says, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to float. You know, I don't really care if this gets done or not. But you care deeply that it gets done. But there's nothing going to motivate them because nothing, they don't care. But here's the thing. You gave them it, so now they get 50%. So do you want someone getting 50% of what you, the, your hard work, your effort, your blood, your sweat, your tears, your wheeling and dealing and all of that, and, you, and they get 50% for nothing, for doing no effort whatsoever. And now you're doing that. So this is the, the reality of a partnership. You know what I mean? So now if you start to build strong partnerships, if you understand how to build a partnership where people earn the percentage they make, then you never feel bad about splitting because you feel like they earned it. But if they didn't earn it, if they didn't put the work in, it's like, well, now there gets to a point where it's like, you know, do I want to do the work so that this person benefits off of like riding my coattails for nothing? You know what I mean? And you might, but why'd you do it in the first place? Did you need to? Maybe you didn't need to. You know what I mean? So yeah. these, these are things you learn, you know, you learn through actually going and trying and doing it. And, you know, I look and I go, well, I made a mistake. But guess what? I learned a hell of a lot. So how do I do things when I move forward? I'm very smart about my partnerships. I'm very smart about everything I do. I actually, you know, uh, I think about one of the big lessons I learned with partnerships. I'm on this soapbox still. Yeah. But <laughs> is that... Never partner with someone with the exact same skill set with you. I never knew that when I was younger. Partner with someone that has an opposite skill set and really values their opposite skill set and wants to use it. Not just because they have it, but because they love it. You yeah. know, for example, you know, um, if you have someone who loves, loves creating, maybe you're the creator, maybe you love creating, you love coming up with a story, you love developing, right? And you have someone who loves to crunch numbers. They love to work out mathematical equations. They love to figure out how the numbers can go together so that you can maximize and utilize. You know, people who get into finances obviously do that. Yeah. That's a great pairing. Because, you know, probably the artist doesn't want to do the financing and the financer doesn't want to do that. But they look together and go, in an opportunity we can pair together. Now you're both bringing a, a unique, unusual skill set. If this person stops doing their job, if they stop doing their skill set, you make a clause in the contract saying that they can be replaced. And if you stop doing your skill set, you can be replaced. But as long as you're both 
meeting up to the demands of your skill set and what is required to keep the project going, you can both keep your 50-50% whatever. Or when you add a third party, your 33% whatever. You know what I mean? But people don't create these contracts and so they, they get into these, these, uh, these partnerships willy-nilly and then it's all good and fun, but then when the money starts coming in, when the, when, <laughs> when the conflicts start coming in, when people have to give up things or sacrifice spending time with their family or whatever to make something work, are they going to make that a priority that, you know, are they going to hold it to the professional level that you want to hold it to? So maybe learn on the small scale, try it out. Sure. But you know, I think that these are things that we all got to go. So the only way you're going to learn that lesson, go out and create something. You know, try doing a partnership. Yeah. But my recommendation is if you want to learn how to have good partnerships, do a short-term partnership. Learn the lessons on the short-term, on the small scale, so that when things get into a bigger scale, because you don't want to be tied into something where you're going have to have to be in a partnership for years with someone who is just basically only going to work for the first year and then not work for anything else. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if it's a, you know, most films, you're going to be on the project for usually about 18 months with the person. But you got to think about that. You're probably going to be on the team with them for about another five years after that with distribution. So when you say I'm partnering with you, just remember you're partnering with someone for at least six to seven years. That's the commitment you're making. Yeah. And if you want to start making franchises and sequels and whatever, you got to think, okay, we're, if we're going to continue to do this, we're making our lifetime commitment. It's like marriage. You know, and so if you if you have any doubts about this person, <laughs> forever, speak now or forever hold your peace. Exactly, that's my soapbox, man. That was it, and I think that was an important thing to say. That was good stuff. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I wish someone told me that when I was younger. Actually, people tried to tell me variations of that, um, but maybe that helps somebody. Maybe they're just going to go out and learn lessons themselves. But at least they have a little bit of awareness about it. You know? Yeah, I mean, and don't be afraid to to lay these things down, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're, if you're getting into a partnership of some kind, don't be afraid to, to have that conversation to be like, okay, like this is like, let's make sure we know what each other's responsibilities are here. What, what is expected of each other. And because it will save a lot of headaches down the road. And I mean, that, that goes for so many things, not just a business partnership, but any kind of a relationship. But you know, and a lot of those like businesses and, and creative endeavors and stuff like that, it's, uh, there's that, this extra element that comes into it because there, there is almost like this baby, you know, <laughs> like there's this baby that's got to be taken care of, you know? Well, and you know, that one thing I've learned through business is get each person to write out their job description themselves. And then compare your job descriptions, see if they overlap. If they overlap entirely, don't partner with that person. That's just dumb. You, you can do their job. You don't need them. Yeah. If a lot of your stuff overlaps, start delegating. Start figuring out who's doing this and who's doing that. But if anything overlaps, if you're both doing the same job, that's, there's a conflict in partnership. You know yeah. what I mean? Because what's going to happen is eventually you go, oh, no, we'll both do it. No, no. Eventually what's going to happen is someone's not going to do their job. Who's going to be held accountable? You or them. If you both do it equally, no one can be held accountable. So one person has the responsibility for that job, not both. Someone can come in and they can help out. They can have a certain responsibility around that job, provided that the person does the job in the first place. But, you know, 
if you're going to create anything together, start looking at what are our job creations? What, what is our, our delegation? You know, writing partnerships. You know, you and I, we write together. When you and I write, you'll step on the computer, I'll step on the computer. We write literally together at the same time. We don't go solo, hand each other scripts. We literally have to be together to write together. And yeah. it seems to work really well for us. Um, I've had other writing partners where they step away and they write something. I step away, I write something, and we bring it together, and then we edit each other's stuff. That can work, but what can happen is how much work do they need to bring in and how much work do I need to bring in? In my experience, I kept producing work, they stopped producing work. Or, for example, I would edit very thoroughly. I would make sure we had a professional quality script. When they edited they left spelling errors, grammatical errors, they didn't look professional. I had to go and clean up their work. It's not a good partnership, you know what I mean? So there's a certain thing that we gotta look at, you know, like any endeavor you're doing together, figure out your job descriptions, both write them out yourself, no one tells you what to do. Yeah. Then compare your job descriptions, see what overlaps, and if you guys both wanna do the same job, flip a coin and figure out who gets to do it. I don't know, figure out a way. But if you guys don't agree on that now, don't partner together yeah. until you figure out your agreement. I think this is the stuff that we need to hear. This is stuff we need to know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's great practical things because these are realities of stepping into, you know, a, a creative project. You know, when you're actually in the stage of, of producing some sort of piece of work. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, we can overlook these things, you know, whether that's through idealism and this and that, it's like, Oh, you know, well, it's, it's all right. It's, it's okay. And it's, it's like, well, it might be for a little while, but it, you know, take a, like, take a real look at, at what the commitment is, is going to be over, like you said, like, you know, this is something that can, could last years or years decades. and years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, I think, uh, um, don't honeymoon partnerships, you know, get, get past the honeymoon stage and know, know this. And, and you know what? You can disagree with me. People can disagree with me. The honeymoon stage will end. It's going to end. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how close you are to this person. Doesn't matter your relationship. Doesn't matter your upbringing. Doesn't matter. Eventually honeymoon will end. And I'll tell you why. Cause eventually the real work of reality and setbacks and challenges and things that push on your fears and your vulnerability are going to come up. And the best relationships, in my opinion, are the ones that know how to deal with that stuff. The relationships that are shooting stars, that are fiery in the beginning and end quickly, they don't have the follow through to deal with once the honeymoon ends. Yeah. You know, once the, once the we're in love with each other, fades away and the real work comes into place and your your identity is threatened with the other person are you going to be able to stay there and be strong and be okay and and are you going to are you going to look at that other person with compassion and understand because you know in partnerships people are going to go through stuff you know you're yeah. going to be in a partnership with someone i mean i've never been married but i can talk about business they're going to go through stuff you know like where i had a partner you know he like lost his job and that was tough for him, right? And he had other demands that he needed to take care of. And you look at that, you go, well, okay, you know, I'll pick up the slack a little bit here. That's fine. 
you know, and try, try to look at that. Now, hopefully your partner sees the world the same way for you. But if you both know each other is going to look out for each other, if something goes down and, and also that you're not going to take advantage of the fact that, Hey, this person will help me out when I don't put as much effort in. Like for me, when someone picks up the slack for me, what I do is even though I don't have to, is I go and I say, listen, I'm going to pick up the slack for you, even though you don't need it right now, just so I can balance things out for me. Because I don't ever want to be in a partnership where I'm not contributing. But that's a mindset that I have. Yeah. And I think that if you have a partner that has that type of mindset where they say, you know, uh, for example, relationships. You make someone dinner, you take them out for dinner, you do whatever. And they say, you know what? You took me out for dinner. I want to make you dinner. Or I want to do this for you. Or I want to, you know, and both people are contributing. You have a really amazing thing there. But if someone thinks that they can get away because you'll always give... You're in trouble. You're, you're going down a, a path that eventually, when the honeymoon ends, it's that, that's going to get annoying. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it starts to build resentment. You know, yeah. Everybody needs to feel like like uh, like every side of the party, whether it's, a, it's like a two-person partnership, a three-person. You know, everyone uh, needs to keep sight of, of what everybody's value is in, in the project, you know, and always be valuing each other. Um, and... And yeah, in, in a good partnership, I mean, you, there's a trust that's there, you know, there's a trust that, that says like, okay, I know that you like, even though sometimes we're at diff, we're at opposite ends on certain things that come up, you know, that we're both searching for a way to come together on this, you Mm -hmm. know, like, it's not just like me coming to you or (laughs) you coming to me, like we're both you know, in that process of like, okay, let's figure this out mm-hmm. and, and move forward. Right. That's, I mean, th- that's something I've just learned from being in a relationship, <laughs> you yeah. know, but like, it's the same, it's, it's, it's the same, it's the same, it's it's the the same, same. thing. You care, you yeah. know, and also what I think what we forget about too is have it be relationships or have it be creative endeavor together. We forget that the more you care about something, the more you invest into it, it tends to be, in my experience, I would say, in my observation, that the more you care and the more you've invested, the higher the stakes become. And the higher the stakes become, the more there's opportunity for emotional tension, the more there is for, you know, irrational um, people to feel more threatened, for things to be amped up, for insecurities and vulnerabilities to come about. If you're, I mean, most people have probably experienced a relationship to some degree or at least a friendship. When you have a friend that you don't really know, an acquaintance really, you don't really, you've never really done anything together, you don't really matter too much, they don't call you back, doesn't really matter. But you have a best friend or you have a relationship and they don't call you in a week. You know, someone, maybe you're married to this person and then you don't hear them from them for a week or something, you know. You're going to get pretty concerned pretty quick. You're going to think, why not? What's happening? What's going on? And that concern, the fact that you care so much can bring up the fear. Did something happen to them? What's going on? What's going on? Are they upset with me? You know, a whole story yeah. can, can evolve out of a simple behavior that contradicts common behavior. And so now when you're in a partnership, the longer you're in that partnership together, the more work you do, the more investment you do, the more responsibility you have to each other to, to be mindful of how you're behaving with that person. If you decide to just start behaving some other way without telling them 
that you're going to behave some other way, they're going to be like, what the hell's going on? But if you said to them, listen, I'm probably not going to call you that much for the next couple of weeks. I'm dealing with some other stuff. Just want to give you the heads up. Don't worry about it. You know, things are good. You know, whatever. The yeah. person can be like, okay, cool. No problem. But if you just do that without anything, people can wonder, you know? And I think that that's, it's not that people are acting crazy when they're doing that. It's because they care. It's because things matter to them. And if this, like, when you build a project together, it's like, why don't you just take a marriage and then throw a baby into it? Because yeah. now you have a baby together. <laughs> yeah. And you care about that baby. And let's just say that one of the parents is supposed to take care of that baby. And you realize that that parent isn't taking care of the baby. That they're, they're letting it do things that are dangerous. They're, <laughs> you know, they're letting it play in the street. They're not looking after it. They're not being responsible for it and feeding it. You know, whatever. Right? All of a sudden, you're going to be probably upset at your partner. You're going to want to have a talk to them. You're going to say, hey... If you're going to take care of the baby for this time, then make sure that you do the job, right? And if they say, oh, it's your fault, you know, you should be doing this. It's like, oh, man, there's going to be problems, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, and you know what? A real, I think that an artistic endeavor is a partnership. I think this is really the topic we're on. But is that I want you to think of it like a relationship and a baby. A relationship and a baby, and you need to start thinking you're becoming a parent. Yeah. You know? And, and never never lose respect for each other, you know, and always value each other, mm-hmm. I think is, is extraordinarily important is to constantly never lose sight of, of how much you value the other person. You know, I think that that's because everybody's bringing something to the table and it's, and it can be very easy sometimes to lose, to lose sight. You know, I know very often, um, I've, in, in some of my relationships, you know, you, uh, you have this perception of how you think, you think things are, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, I've been doing this and I've been doing this, you know, I've been doing this and it's like, you know, like what, what the hell, like what the hell's going on? Like I've been doing all this stuff and, 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 and where are you, where are you in all of this? And, and then you realize that that person's actually been doing a lot of these other little things that you just didn't even notice. Yes. And, <laughs> and it's just like, so, you know, don't be so quick. Like, especially when you're in a partnership, you know, like when, when you are working towards something together, something that's, you know, kind of in a lot of ways bigger than both of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when there's something so important on the line, it's important that, you, you give each other the benefit of the doubt and that any sort of conflict that arises, you, you treat it in a, in a way that's, that's respectful of each other, you know, and, and communicate and, and solve it because, Mm -hmm. you know, the alternative, like you said, like if you just jump into anger, you know, and you just come at somebody and now you've got huge problems that are going to come up down the line. Yeah, you might have created a problem that didn't even exist. You know, you brought up something really good there. That's great advice. Um, is being careful about making assumptions that you know. Because you don't know what the other person's contributing. You don't know what they're doing. And you don't, if you never ask them about, like, you know, what's it? Like, for example, you know, a line producer who's crunching the numbers, figuring out the budget, you know, all that stuff. I, you know, as a good creator, as a good producer, I can go to them and say, so 
how's it been for you? What's what's going on for you? You know, are you finding this job like overwhelming or you know whatever? Like just tell me like are you, what are you liking about it? You know what's working, what isn't working? That person can tell you, well, you know there's this this and this and you know uh the the production manager is not telling me how much they're paying all the people and I don't know and so I'm kind of doing a guesstimation based on how much we're paying all these people and this budget is like, you know, it's taking me twice as long because I don't get those numbers in until, you know, the end of the month. And I could have this at the beginning of the month. And it's like, oh, okay, great. So now this person's upset at that person. And I just asked them some questions about how their job's going and they can tell me. And it's not like the production manager, the production manager's probably there going, maybe we can cut some costs here. Maybe we can figure out how to get people like below scale or whatever so that we can we can get this on budget and put a little bit more money into this visual effect that the director wants so badly, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Or the editor. And so then you realize that everybody's trying to do a job and everybody's actually really trying to do the best job they can. But if you come around as a leader and you start to really consider that everybody's struggling in their own way and you start to see how it's all interrelated and your struggles are actually interrelated to someone else, because the reason why you're say you're in a relationship the reason why your partner might not be doing something that you expect them to do might be because you were creating something which made it harder for them to do the thing that you want them to do. You know what I mean? Like, uh, here's a silly one. Y- you know, um, woman comes home from work. I'm going to reverse this. Woman comes home from work and she asks her husband, who stayed at home for the day, why isn't the laundry done? And he, he just seems like he's lazy. He's sitting there watching TV when she gets home. And he, meanwhile, cleaned up the place. He did this thing. He took care of the kids, made sure they went to school, made sure they're tucked in, all this other stuff. And and she could get mad at him or she could go, well, what, what caused it? What what created a situation where you wouldn't do the laundry? And he'd go, you know, we're out of laundry detergent and I didn't have the credit card or the debit card to be able to go and buy some. So I didn't. So I just kind of left. Yeah. And I planned to tell you about that tonight so I could do it tomorrow. And it's like... You could have came at that person and been super angry at them and been like, you didn't do the laundry. (laughs) It's like, well, maybe they didn't do it because there was some other factor that you have a participation in. You know what I mean? So I don't know. We can become so caught up in our own, our own worlds and our own perception of what's going on that, you know, we, we actually don't have, have any real grasp of, of what's actually happened, Mm -hmm. you know? And in my experience, most conflicts come out of a, are out of a very simple miscommunication. Like almost always, Mm -hmm. almost always. I know like with my girlfriend, like we've been together for coming on to four years now and almost any time, like, like, and we never really argue with each other, you know, like we, we have like these, like these things come up and now I just call them miscommunications because in my experience, that is like what they always boil down to. It's good framing, by the way, way to frame like what's going on. We're miscommunicating. Let's yeah. figure out how to, what we're missing. Yeah. It's yeah. again, and usually it's just like, okay, well, listen, this is where, where I was coming from. Where were you coming from? And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay. I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry that I did not get that. And yeah. then it's like, and then suddenly it's like, oh, Okay. Fantastic. And, and it actually becomes this, it actually becomes a place where, where you bond and you actually understand each other better and you work better from then on. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really good. I think that's really good advice. I mean, cause you know, art in whatever form is actually a 
form of communication, right? Oh, yeah. And I think that if, you know, like, people could say, oh, well, I'm not an artist. I'm a banker or I'm a lawyer or I'm whatever. But there's an art to it all. There's an art to the way you structure your case, to the way you communicate with your partner, to the way that you you paint the painting to express your emotion, the way that you frame the shot or hold the shot or move the shot to, to capture this moment in the story, um, the way that you express your love towards someone as an actor in a scene, which might not come out as lovey-dovey, but it might come out in some kind of more harsher way, but that's how you're expressing yeah. the fact that I care about you and I feel like you're not doing this. Whatever it is, that's the art. That is the beauty of it. And I think that we we kind of look at art as this very like, uh, someone used this term with me before, but it's like we kind of compartmentalize art. We go, if it's a painting, if it's a song, if it's a movie, it's art. But, or whatever. But if it's, like, like you don't think that that's, tr like, that's exactly what you're doing right now. Like, how was a movie made? It was made based on life, which is art. It took, it didn't just make art out of nothing. There was already art. It, it, and often, you know, you look at the movies that do the best, they're based on true stories. Because there was art in the truth. You know what I mean? And they, and they extracted the art out of it and tried to capture it in a succinct 90 minute way or however long. That yeah. Means, I mean, it's, you know? it's trying to communicate something that is human, something that, I don't know, something that, uh, appeals to a certain part of our, our nature of, of who and what and why we are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and we attempt at that. Yeah. In, in whatever we do, you know, and that's really all it is. We attempt at it. We attempt to try and say something about what, what this all is, mm -hmm. our existence primarily. I mean, that's, that's what I think it, it's communication. I think that, that art is, it, it is to communicate. Um, and I've, I've also recently started to like, like come to some thoughts about art is actually a form of healing in some ways as well. Now you're getting out there. Now I'm getting out there, <laughs> but I, I, I actually, I, th I think it is art can be extraordinarily healing. You know, think like when, think of a, a piece of music that got you through a very difficult time. Mm -hmm. I'm sure most people can think of, of a song that was just like, yeah, that song, I just, I just listened to this, or maybe it was an album or something just like, and I just listened to this and it was just like in it and it just helped me through this time. Yeah. You know, like it gave me perspective on something or whatever. I mean, that's, that's art and that's healing mm -hmm. through art. Yeah. That is so true, man. You know, I think about, uh, when my parents were splitting up and we, we lost, we, we had, we had lost everything. And I remember, um, my dad and I, we just, we just go and see movies together. He'd just be like, do you want to go see a movie? I'd be like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And we just, we'd walk down to the theater and we'd go and we'd watch a movie together. And, and then we'd come home and we'd talk about it. And, and I'm actually emotional about it. I think about it, I'm like, it was very healing. You know, it was like this 14-year-old kid or whatever. And I got to spend some time with my dad and talk about something that was a little bit away from what we were doing. You know, I remember yeah. actually playing hockey too. And I remember... Um, I used to go and I remember being on, and there's an art in my opinion to sports too. I, I, I think sometimes people overlook that, but when you're on the ice and you're skating, or at least when I was, I forgot about this whole world that I was living, all the turmoil and all the chaos and all the crazy stuff that was going on at the time of my life. 
And when I was on the ice, it was just about playing the game. It was just about making that pass, stick handling, taking that shot. And I think that when when you can kind of like connect to this thing that's really important to you, it is healing. It's 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 something where you can invest yourself and not I don't know, not get so wrapped up in like the chaos of the world, you know, and all the troubles. Yeah, I mean, it can, and oftentimes it can show you how meaningless a lot of your troubles are. Mm-hmm. You know, like it can grant it can grant you a little bit of perspective on something where all of this stuff can just sort of melt away. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not things that you know have to be that you know have to be dealt with at some point in time, but you know, it can when you when you can really connect to something that you that you love to do when you can when you really connect to it it shows just how kind of meaningless everything else is mm-hmm. i agree with that I, I mean i think that's that's so true you know i had a friend uh actually two friends one one of my friends who one of the guys who actually got me into hockey um he he had a he had a very troubling life you know his his family there was a lot of chaos there's a lot of stuff going on i think he lost his mom and you know he's just and he was a smaller kid i remember kids used to pick on him a bit and he was one of those kids who just had like that spirit you know he had like a fighting spirit and i remember um he just loved hockey and he actually was someone who brought me into it and he he helped me to get all these opportunities which i never would have had in that sport and I remember one of my other friends, who was a really close friend of mine, but not so much of his, but he knew him quite well. And he said, you know, um, Dustin was his name. He said, his dad really saved his life. And I said, well, why, why do you say that? He says, because he gave him hockey. Because his dad is so committed to, to helping him succeed at this sport, to really make sure he had the best skates, to make sure he gets to play on the best teams, to you know, to taking him to practice in the morning. He would take us to the ice rink just on our own time. So we could practice together. He would go out of his way to help us do whatever. And I got to kind of join in because we were such close friends, but his dad was really went out of the way for that. And I thought, you know, all the troubles that he faced when we played hockey together, none of those ever mattered. And, you know, I was at a similar place in my life where I was dealing with some troubles, but I think, yeah, like, you know, there's this, when you're when you're doing something you love, nothing else matters in the world. You know, it just really doesn't. And I think about that time in my life where he and I spent so much time together. And I think that was one of the best times in my entire life. And I think back and I go, wait a minute. If you look at my life, if you look at the way things are going, as an objective view, you would almost go, no, that was like, dude, that was the worst time in your life. <laughs> but to me, I go, wait a minute. I experienced that as one of the best times in my life. Isn't that funny? That the thing I was doing that I loved made this term, turmoil and craziness into one of the best times of my life. I mean, your your point, and I, I agree, I think that's dead dead on. I mean, it just shows you that that was all meaningless. All the stuff that was going on in my life was meaningless. I had something I loved, and so did he. And I think that's got a parallel to everybody, I yeah. mean, to some degree, right? And I mean, how much do you remember, yeah, those those things that that were so that troubled you so much you know it's like when I think about you know you can go back to almost any time in your life I'm and maybe this is just you know I'm sure there's a certain degree to which this is my experience of everything and this is my sort of way that I look at life that that has shaped this but when I look back through my life you know it's like yeah I go it's like yeah I, I remember I used to I used to be 
you know, stressed out about this. And I used to worry about this and, and whatever. And I know, and I have some vague recollection of, 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 you know, certain like, you know, feelings of anxiety at certain places and stuff. But when I think back a certain, most of the time I, I just think about, you know, these, like the things that I did that meant something to me, hmm. you know, like w whether it was a, a trip or, or, you know, doing a play or doing this or that. It's like, I, those are the things that I remember hmm. is the moments of joy that I had in my life and, and everything else. I'm just like, yeah, I can't even really remember what I was upset about <laughs> back at the time. Yeah. Exactly. I, I can sort of remember, but like, it's, it's meaningless. Yeah. It's entirely meaningless when you, and like they say, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I, I you know, it, it goes is quite, it though? <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I perhaps, but you know, maybe it's just the place I'm in now, but I mean that those experiences shaped me who shaped who I am today. And today I'm saying, <laughs> you know, like I look back at these times where I know that I had a lot of stress and anxiety, like at certain points in my life, but I have a hard time really kind of connecting to that. Mm -hmm. Like today, I have a hard time connecting to all of that stuff. Yeah. You know, um, I was th as you're speaking, uh, you know, it's thought dawned on me that when someone's depressed or they're feeling not good about their life or they're really focused on all these negative things, there might be a good chance that, you know, they don't have something that they're connected to that they love, you know? And I think like, um, Sometimes I think that's just what you need. I think what you need is when you're feeling really down and you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling like the world's working against you is that's when it's a good time to just go like, you know, what would I like to do? And and maybe just start investing yourself in to do that. You know, like it could be, I mean, it could just be like drawing or it could be, uh, you know, coloring. Yeah. <laughs> What's something that brings you a lot of joy? Yeah, because then I think about myself, you know, I think about the times where I've been kind of real down and depressed and negative and I've had those moments in my life. I think... Yeah, there wasn't really doing anything I loved. You know, I wasn't really like, I didn't really have something I was working towards or building. But I find like, when I look back now and I think about some of the, I think about some of the periods I've been through where in in an observational view as like third person, you know, you look at it and go, wow, I was actually going through a lot of challenges. But I remember like acting, you know, that was like a lifesaver for me, you know, because it didn't matter what was going on. I had acting. I loved it. I, I just could not wait to get to class. I could not wait to read the next script, the next play, to read the next book. And it didn't matter what was going on for me because I cared about it and I just wanted to be better at it and I wanted to do it. You know, and I remember uh, experiencing that with other actors. It's like, all I want to do is I just want to act. I want to act in something. Yeah. I want to do some kind of acting. Do you want to get together? Do you want to act on the weekend? It's like, <laughs> people are just like, yeah, you just wanted, you just wanted to be around it. You yeah. Know, and just wanted to see what other people were going to do. You wanted to... Yeah, just be around around people who had, you know, a similar sort of mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, that's... Oh, man. I, I know that I've been so fortunate, and I'm sure that you can, you can attest to the same, but just... I've been so fortunate in a lot of the people that I've had around me, you know, in, like, I've... Because I know that there's, you know, there can be some pretty... You know, I've heard of some pretty poisonous groups of people, you know, like in out there in the community, especially in, in classes and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And and I've had the fortune of being in a few classes where, you know, I was surrounded by people who just did amazing work and were extraordinarily, you know, committed to doing it. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people, not 
not everybody makes it. No. You know, like not everybody can, can, you know, stay the course with it. You know, they discover that it's really not what they want. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the time, you know, at the time they were really giving it all they had, Mm -hmm. you know, like they, they had a passion for it and they're like, no, I like, like, I'm going to act like I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. And they, and they put it all out there and they, and I, and they've done some amazing things later on. They decide that's not their course, but you know, they still, they still went for it and they still did it and they explored it. They saw it, they experienced it. Hmm. And from there, they could actually make a real decision from that place. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a, a lot about how all of these experiences, like nothing's ever wasted. Nothing is ever wasted. You know, like people who, who I saw like spend like two, three years dedicated to acting and then decided not to do it. A lot of people have spent longer than that, you know, dedicated to, to acting and then they decide to move on. It doesn't, it doesn't bring them the same kind of joy or fulfillment that it once did, Mm -hmm. but they, they gave themselves to it and they, they had the experience so they can actually make that decision. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not just like, and then it's actually a decision, which is the important thing. It's not something that's happened because, oh, well, you know, I, I just didn't think it was going to be a very safe option for me, or I didn't, I didn't really have any other choice or blah, blah, blah. Right. It's like, no, you did it. And now you get to make a decision. Is this something you really want to do or not? Mm -hmm. But you've had, you've, you've touched on it. Yeah. You did something you cared about, you know, like, I mean, I don't play hockey professionally and I'll play soccer professionally, but you know, I care that I, that I went and invested and, and did the best I could while I played those sports. You know, it, it, it was an important thing for me at the time. And I think it led me to certain other things, which it taught me a lot of things. You know what I mean? It taught me how to, it taught me how to really build a skill, how to develop it, how to, you know, put it as a priority, all sorts of things. I think when, you know, if you're going to pursue an art, it's, I don't think we should ever look into the future and say, well, I don't know if it's going to work out for me, so I won't do it. I think if you really want to do it, just go do it. You know, whether it becomes, you become famous or become the next big thing or not, I don't think that matters. I think it's, it's a matter of, you know, doing something you love will often lead you to something else you love more. Yeah. And I, but you have to move in the direction. You have to move in the direction. You have to you pick a direction. Yeah. You know, you don't have to know exactly what something's going to look like, but, but take a step. You know, if you want, if you've always thought about acting, well, it's like, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you've got to go and get your agent and, you know, whatever and go and, and start auditioning like right away. It's like, well, take a class. Yeah. Find a class somewhere. It's not that hard. Get, you know, and really start to, to learn what it is, you know, what the job actually is and what you're, you're sort of tasked with in this field and start and go from there. Yeah. Do you like it? Okay. Well, maybe you keep on with the class or you take a different one as well. And maybe you're like, okay, well, all right, I'll get some headshots. You know, you find a headshot photographer, you know, go get like, it's just, and then it's just one thing is the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. It's not all just it's not all at, to, once. all at once, you know, but just, just take a step. Well, and you know, 
uh, acting, right? Like I was talking with a friend of mine and she's, she's deciding, I think she's pretty much fully stepped away from acting now. And we were talking about it and she goes, ah, oh, you know, I wasted all this money on all these classes. And I said, what are you talking about? You got so much out of those classes. Look at the charisma you have, the emotional intelligence you have now, the ability that most people don't have. Like she's totally negated the fact at this point in this conversation where she negated the whole fact that all these things have actually built skills in her. You know, I think about it like I stand up on stage in front of like 30, 40 people or more sometimes and, I, and I'll talk about making movies and I'll talk about this. Do you think I can stand up on stage and not have stage fright and feel confident? Because I stood up on stages as an actor so many times. I've, I've stood in front of people where I learned. I got over the fear. I learned how to communicate. Do you think I'd be able to do this podcast if I never did this stuff? You know, maybe I don't end up, maybe I'm, you know, I don't end up being an actor. You know, I actually, I still love acting. I'm not ready to walk away from it at all. In fact, I'm only walking more towards it. But maybe I don't do it. But the thing is, is the way I look at it, it goes, that's totally okay. It's given me so much. It's given me an ability to talk publicly. It's given me an ability to have an emotional intelligence. It's given me an ability to be a better director, to be a better screenwriter. It doesn't matter. I think the thing is, is that we, we're so, we're so taught that we need to know, you need, like they ask kids, what are you going to be when you're older? The kid doesn't know what he's going to be or she's going to be. They don't know. They're going to go do something that they like to do. They're going to like, uh, a police officer, a painter, a lawyer. They don't know. Yeah. Do they know what a lawyer is? Ask a four-year-old who says he wants to be a lawyer. Do they know what a lawyer is, right? At one point in my life, I wanted to be an architect. I went into it. I did it for a year. I learned AutoCAD, all the stuff. I built design stuff, you know, and I realized <laughs> I don't want to be an architect. <laughs> but you know what? I know I don't want to be an architect. Do I love architecture? Do I appreciate architects and the designs they do? Absolutely. Do I want to do that? No. But I know what it takes to do what they need to do, and I never wonder about it anymore. Yeah. Right? Had I always been like, oh, I wish I kind of checked out architecture. You know what I mean? Like, no, I did it. I went down that road. You know what I mean? I tried it, and I realized, no, it's not for me. I used to think it was, but I think that people, like, feel so much like they need to know. They need to know the answer. Yeah. They need to know how it's going to work out. Yeah, and, and all of these sort of un... <laughs> these These completely non-existent, you know, uh, consequences for these things. I mean, it, it, and it's, it is, it's, it's completely insane. You know, we'll have these interests and things and, and we won't pursue it because, you know, we'll think it's ridiculous or what if it doesn't work out or this or that. And it's just like, you know, that's, that's all fine. You know, like I hear you, but you know, at the same time, like, what's the consequence if you don't do it? Mm-hmm. You know, I had a teacher in Los Angeles, her name was Candace Silvers, and I thought she was an exceptional teacher. Um, actually, Chris Evans was in our class. Ooh. Yeah, I know. And he's an amazing guy, too, actually. Um, he, was, it was, he was kind of just becoming a story. He was in Fantastic Four and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but um, I mean, she's a really good teacher, but, you know, she would say that, you know, she would tell her kids um, to go and, and to do what they wanted to do, you know, like, go try that out. Go do that. Because the thing is, is you, I, I would do the same thing, and I thought she was brilliant, because I look at it, I go, well, I would tell my kids to do the same thing. Go and try this thing. You know, see if you like it. See, see what it works out. You know, don't make excuses, you know, for yourself later, like if it doesn't work out. But look at it. Do you like it? Is it something you want to do? I don't want, I wouldn't want my children to be like wondering, 
oh, if only I did this, you know, if only whatever. You know what? You got to, you know what? Life is short, but life is long. You know what I mean? In a sense, you got a lot of life in you to go try something. Yeah. You know, and like, you know what? Like people have this whole thing like, oh, I got to get into school, like right after high school. I got to, I got to get married. I got to buy a house. I got to do all this stuff. No, you don't. You know what I mean? What do you want to do? Do you want to go, go to university, get a degree that's basically meaningless now in our society? Cause like everybody has one, go buy a house, you know, especially if you live in Vancouver, you know, that's probably not going to happen anyway, <laughs> but <laughs> not right now with our housing market, get married, you know, make a decision for a life partner before you even know what it is to have a really good life partner. And you, you know, before you even have enough experience to decide whether, you know, you want to do all these decisions and okay, so maybe some people do it and it works out. That's great. Because maybe that's what somebody really wants. Maybe that's what they wanted. And if you really wanted that, amen. That's awesome. I think that's wonderful. And and if, do it. And do it. <laughs> but if you're sitting there going, I think I should do this. This is what my parents want me to do. This is what society wants me to do. This is what my teachers tell me to do. But you really want to go do this other thing? Go do this other thing. It's not their life. It's your life. You know, you go live it. You know, maybe learn some things like maybe put a little money aside, you know, like create disciplines, like read, there's books that I would recommend people, I'm just gonna list them off, read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, read uh, Richest Man in Babylon, and read, uh, well, whatever, I'm gonna give you those two, but read those two, because then you know what, no matter what you do as an artist, you're gonna have your finances taken care of, you're gonna start to have a certain amount of responsibility, there's others I could direct people to, but I would say read those two books, apply those lessons for the rest of your life, and then you build those disciplines, and then just go do what you want. Because you know what, the whole world's all based on safety and security and being responsible. But you know, like, you know, I have a, a really close friend of mine, one of my best friends, and, and he says, you know, I always wanted to act. Uh, you know, he's like, D you know, do you think I could be a good actor? And he's like, you know, we're the same age, we're in the 30s, right? And he's like, I'm like, do it, man, just do it. Just go and try it. You know what I mean? And he's like, he's like, you know, I kind of did the safe path. He's like, I did the safe path. I, you know, I got the job, I bought the house, I did the thing. But I can see there's this like, longing in him and this unfulfilled and I think if, if I'm speaking and someone on the other line is feeling this my advice to you is just go and do this thing that you want to do you know what I mean just go and try it out you know what you don't need to be famous you don't need to be some big thing but the thing is, is you go and do this you're going to build confidence and belief that you can do something that you want to do that society didn't tell you had to do that your parents didn't tell you had to do and that's going to build a certain amount of like I can do this on my own accord because I chose to. And then that you might not even want that. You might want something else. And then that will lead you to something else. And, you know, you know, what's great. You bought a house and you were responsible. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? You did some really great things that way. But now don't just live your whole life and then and then turn like, you know, the end of your days and then turn back and look, I wish I did this. You just don't want to have that. I don't think you want to have that. No, no. Um, Shall we, uh, introduce, shall we introduce the lovely third party here? <laughs> this dark, this dark haired beauty, <laughs> this dark haired beauty. I like it. So this beer, we went, we went back to 33 acres. Our it's good friends at 33 acres. Our good friends at 33 acres. This is darkness. It's called. And, um, this beer is really, really delicious. I, I almost thought that maybe we actually drank this beer before in an earlier podcast. And if we did, that's great because it's delicious and I would get it again. I'm not sure if we did, but this I don't is, think so. Um, 
But we've done 33 acres a few times. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, well, indeed. I think the thing is, is that, you know, based on just vicinity and the fact that we started these, a lot of these conversations at 33 acres. Um, it was our watering hole. It was our watering hole. So it still is, apparently. It still is, yeah. And so thanks to 33 acres for being around. And I, I really highly recommend this craft beer place. I mean, every beer I have there is awesome. I have a few favorites. This is definitely one of my favorites. Um... And I, I just think, you know, it's a really great atmosphere and, and awesome people who work there. And I find that the people who, at least currently, who <laughs> live in the area who come to that place, you know, there's a lot of cool people I've met there. And plus, on uh, Saturday nights, I think it is, they have live music. And I've been there, and it's, and it's like packed, and it's fun, and it's like great. So... 33 Acres, thank you, darkness. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great plug. Yeah. We don't, and we also, we, like, 33 Acres does not pay us to say this, mm -mm. so that's, um, no. that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, no, we just recommend places, and I think that recommending beers, you know, we were actually having this conversation earlier about our taste for beer has, has expanded quite a bit since we started hanging out and kind of having beers, you know, like, um, and I mean, I feel like I'm pretty positive about every beer we have, but I think, you know... It, everything there's always something really great and positive to be about it and uh, it's hard for me now like I've had so many different craft beers where it's like what's my favorite I don't know it's not about that it's not like yeah one I don't look at it like this beer is better than that beer I just look at it like you know sometimes I want this beer and sometimes I want that beer and it just you know but I have the option yeah which is beautiful you know it's not I, like just the same generic beer every yeah time. I've never had anything on this on on our show that I didn't like or I didn't enjoy no. the only thing I can say is that there have been some that have been standouts where yeah. I've just been like yes that yeah. is phenomenal stuff <laughs> <laughs> I will have that again and of course Evan it's just your opinion it's so of fact. course it's just my opinion <laughs> it is just my opinion <laughs> So, you know, someone might, might prefer another beer. I mean, you know, for me, like IPAs and stuff, they're not usually my go-to because they tend to be pretty hoppy and whatever. And I tend to not prefer the hoppy beer as much. Although I've had some that I've really, really enjoyed. They can put uh, you to sleep a little bit, you know. Can they? They can, yeah. The hops. Oh. Yeah, they, the, like high hops, um, it, it, yeah, it can make you real sleepy. Oh, interesting. Uh, in fact... Apparently, uh, a lot of like old doctors, and I think even like probably even current day herbologists and stuff, they would they would tell people like if they were having uh, insomnia, to just take like actual like raw hops like before they went to bed and just like and just like sort of like suck on it like oh, really? in their mouth, and then it would help them go to sleep. Interesting. So if you're having yeah. sleeping troubles, suck on some hops, yeah. or go to one of the beer places that we've yeah, exactly. have some IPA. Exactly. Get a <laughs> Get something real ho hoppy, something probably with a high um, high bitterness mm -hmm. rating in it. And, well, some uh, people love the hops. I mean, some people, you know, uh, I have one uh, friend who, they they want the hoppiest beer you got. They're like, what's your hoppiest? That's like what they look for. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it is totally preference and taste, you know, whatever. Everybody likes their own thing. Um, I think maybe as we have guests on, we can kind of try beers with them and then see what they think of the beers. Cause I mean, maybe you and I just agree on everything. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't, but you know, so whatever. I mean, it's uh that would be horrible. That'd be terrible. 
We definitely <laughs> don't agree on everything. Actually, I'm going to share a little story. When you and I were writing together, you you had this way of like really making fun of anything I wrote that was really like cliche or corny. But here's the thing. It was great. And then I remember there was this day where we wrote together and you didn't insult anything I wrote. And it was like playful. It was jovial. It was yeah, yeah. It wasn't like I never took offense to any of it. And I was like, what's wrong? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, is he okay today? <laughs> is he just... And I remember asking you, I'm like, are you doing all right? And you were like, yeah, I'm good. I'm like, and I'm like, you haven't made fun of anything I wrote. You're like, no, it's just pretty good. I like it. <laughs> oh, shit. It's either, <laughs> not, we're it's either this everything's up. great or it's, or it's, you know, he's so horrified <laughs> by what's happened here. And then he just was speechless. That I'm so... <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, I, I'm making a face, and it's like, yeah, nobody can see me. Nobody can see on the uh, podcast, and no one ever will except me. Um, who knows? Maybe someday we'll do uh we'll do a uh, like an, an actual like a video cast. Like we'll do a podcast, but we'll we'll throw some video in it. Yeah, maybe. Make sure our hair is done well. Yeah. Ooh. Make sure we dress all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I'll say something because we were doing partnerships before, but writing partnerships. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes people ask me, because, you know, our, our partnerships have been very successful with writing, and I've had a, a couple others that have been pretty successful. Not as long-term as ours, but um, some other shorter-term writing uh, partnerships that have been good, and a couple that were not good at all. Um, and I think maybe that we can talk about that a little bit, you know, as to close this off. Like, what is it about ours that works, and what is it about some that don't, you know? Um, yeah. Because, I, you know, I found that Usually what happens is people, in my experience, are usually really excited about writing a project together, but the excitement runs out at a certain point and they don't want to follow through. And well, then you're kind of let down because your partner doesn't, yeah. Yeah, well, because you reach a stage where, like, you've been writing and sitting in a room together for the last, you know, <laughs> yeah. how many hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, of how many days, you know, of working together and... and you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to have a good relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. You know, like you've got to have a good relationship. And I mean, one of the things that I remember you saying to me years and years ago, and you said, you know, one of the reasons why I think that we work so well together is, and, and you said, I'm not afraid to fail in front of you. Mm. Right. And, and that's always stuck with me. I think, yeah, like if, like in any creative partnership, I think that that, you know, and, and it comes from an understanding, a mutual respect, as well as an understanding of how, you know, of how challenging the process is, mm. you know, and what, and just what the process is like both of us knowing that it's like, yeah, like this isn't going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to put some stuff down here and it's going to be shit. Yeah. Like it's going to be, it's going to be no good. We're going to completely erase some stuff that's in here. But you know, like the, the, that's not the point. Like we, we accept that that's going to be part of how this goes and it's not a judgment on the other person. It's not me saying it's like, Oh, you're a, you're a crap writer because you put (laughs) that down there or, Oh, I'm a crap writer. And also then I, I, when I'm writing, I'm not afraid you know, that I'm being judged either because that's, so there's gotta be, there's gotta be, I I feel like no one needs, like no one should feel like they're being judged. 
No. And what's happening, you know, like that's, that's crucial. Well, and I think that was the thing, you know, and, and I agree. I think that's probably the number one most important thing. Cause when you and I would kind of like joke around or make fun of each other while we were writing, it was always from a place of kind of a, a goofy playfulness. It was never from an actual judgmental, at least I never experienced that. And, um, you know, and I think at this point, obviously it wasn't, but, um, it was kind of like, I remember like, for example, when we first started writing, we both wrote and we used to say this to each other. We're like, it's a little OC. You know, that was like a big oh, thing yeah, we yeah, kept yeah. doing, right? We go, <laughs> and then we were just like, and uh, people who don't know the OC, it was a show. It was teen drama, whatever. And so when things became a little bit kind of like, I don't know, they just became a little bit like that forced drama of like, oh, I'm emotional, you know, <laughs> just like, you know, not that we criticize no, people on no. our shows on this show, which by the in way, in fact, I, the first season of the OC is, really, I thought it was really good. I thought it was, I love the first season yeah, of the OC, I enjoyed man. It a lot. That was, and, that and was then great I, and stuff. And then after that, I, it, it fell off for me, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, we used to, we, you know, and you need to be able to give each other feedback, but you need to also be able to do it in a way where it's not personal. And I think one thing that was working for us as a partnership, at least in writing was I never, and I, I felt like this, you were, you were quite the same, but we never really were like, I wrote it. So it has to stay. It was always like, here's kind of the idea that I want to express. And then you try and write it. And then the other person would go, okay, this is working, but this isn't working. Let me try and revise it a little. Yeah. It's or, like, are you mind if I do a little something with this? Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, sure. And, and, and I think saying yes is a huge part of of being, you know, in a partnership creatively as well. It's like, say yes, like, and, and also, you know, pick your battles, but that does like, that means like, you know, those are kind of easy to do in my, in my mind, like picking your battles is kind of easy because there's not too many of them for one. That what I you find mean, that usually with come us across. or with stuff. Yeah, like... no, just like in, like in, in terms oh, okay. of yeah, like with us, but like in my experience, it's like, you know, usually if there's been anything, and that goes both ways for for either of us. There's been instances where it's like something comes up, and you go, oh well, you know, I was thinking of maybe going this way, and then one of us will sort of will will take a stand on something. Where it's like, oh, I really want this, yes. you know, to be like this. And this is why, because I want this and this and then, and normally we're just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I get it. Right. And then sometimes from there, it's like, all right, well, now that I know what you're thinking and I like that idea, can I still do like a couple little tweaks and we'll keep what you're saying and, and whatever. And, and then I'll, and then we'll just do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Um, but yeah, like pick your battles, like, and, and your battles should be things that are, are just like for you, like they're, they've got to be crucial and explain it and explain like, why explain you want explain it. it. Yes. Yeah. You know, and there can be, and hear the others, you know, what the other side is on it as well, because there might be an angle on it that can maybe add to what you're thinking, or there can be a place where you actually take both of your ideas and and you come up with something that was better. Yes. Yeah, totally. You did a good job at explaining the process. I mean, I think that's the thing is like, you know, make the stance for the things that you want, but when you make a stand, make a good reason for it. And, uh, you know, just explain to the other person why you want it there. And then the person can go, well, 
you know, if we did this or this or this, maybe it could do that, you know, and then you can kind of, because my dad used to always say this to me, he says, often the why is more important than the what. Because it's like, it's not like, sometimes you might think that what you're fighting for is that they need to say it this way. And it's like, no, they don't necessarily need to. What you're really arguing for probably is the why. Why do you want that? You know, like if you, if your why is because you want it because you want to say this, it's like they need to say the line this way. You know, they need to say this line. I think that's a petty battle. But if it's because, because I want her to express to her friend how much she cares about her. And if she doesn't say that right here, there's no moment where she says anything. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to be lost. And then later when she loses her friend, you're not going to understand why that's so important to her and what happened, you know? And then the person goes, Oh, okay. I see what you're trying to build. You're trying to build relationship. And then the conversation doesn't become about what you actually wrote, but why are you trying to create this element in your script? That's a good, I think mean, that's a good team ship. But, you know, we are getting pretty close to, I feel like, a good talk. Yes. So. Yes, to the witching hour. Yeah. What do you think? Wrap it up? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so. Well, I'll leave it on you for starters. What's your, what's your thing you want to leave me with? What's, what's my takeaway? Well, this, uh, this one really became a lot about, uh, about partnerships. It did, yeah. And, uh, and, and some good practical advice about things and as well as, yeah, this was all kind of practical to a large degree. We we got into a few sort of things that were maybe on a on a more philosophical level mm-hmm. of things about uh about ego and anger and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sort of stuff. <laughs> we went all over the place. Um yeah, my takeaway is uh you know, be be very uh respectful and and there's and that there's nothing wrong with a partnership, but you know, be very thoughtful about about all of it, everything that that means. You know, whether you choose to or choose not to, um, you know, look at the reasons why you might be considering taking a partner. Like, is is it just is it a safety thing for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you and when you choose to have a partner, you know, just be be as sort of kind of wise about it as you can, you know, both from a practical element of, you know, everybody knowing what their, what their duties are and, you know, what their responsibilities are and, and being good to each other. Yeah. You know, being good to each other, value each other, you know, never lose sight of that. You know, it's, it, you're in a, doing something creative, which is supposed to be a labor of love, you know, so try and keep it that way. Hmm. That's good. Uh, yeah, there's not much I need to add to that because I feel you summed it up. The thing that I would say if I was going to add anything is that if there is never do a partnership because you're scared to do the work alone, uh, you and I write together, but we also write alone. You just finished a script. I, you know, I just finished a script recently. Um, we continue to write on our own and then we come together and we write some scripts together. I would say that this is important for a couple of reasons, probably more than a couple, but I'll just bring up a couple. One is that if you write with a partner and you feel you need that partner and you feel you can't write without that partner, you created a codependent relationship that's very bad. It's, and I, when I say bad, I mean it's destructive. Now you've created a handicap in your relationship with that person that is unhealthy and you rely on them now for you to do anything creative. And without them, there's so many reasons why you can excuse yourself from being creative. 
If you're going to do anything with someone else, be willing to also do it alone. I think if you're going to write with a partner, spend some time as well writing on your own as well. And develop your craft and tell them to do the same because you don't want them to be codependent on you either. Secondly, if you want to be a writer that is represented by an agent and you want to um, you know, really have someone that's going to fight for you in your corner to have those big deals, first of all, you need to have about three scripts. And secondly... Writing agents don't like partners because of everything I laid out before because partnerships tend to fall apart. And now if I'm an agent, just think about it from the agent's point of view. I have these two clients that work together and write scripts together. Now let's just say they have a falling out, but they only write together. I just lost my client list. I just lost two of my big clients. So now they're going to invest in you and put their time into you and do all that if you only write together. So write alone so that they can represent you together, but they can also represent you alone. That way, if one person decides, I don't want to be a writer anymore, you have a falling out or whatever, you're still self-sufficient and you can still be a producing party. Um, otherwise, you create a liability. And you don't want your partnership to ever be a liability. It should be something that's an asset that helps you both. Yeah. So anyway, that would be what I would leave it with. But everything you, you put out there summed up, I felt really what we discussed for the most part beautiful cool all right all right well this was a good uh keep Sim it simple sunday or <laughs> <laughs> i like that keep it simple sunday that's actually not bad either yeah um, <laughs> i know that wasn't it as soon as it not came so out serious mouth, sunday not so serious sunday what do you like better who knows i don't know we'll don't think know. about it we'll think about it stay tuned you'll find out next week <laughs> what is the grand conclusion <laughs> That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.